Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Today, as we kick off Series 27 of the podcast, we're going to be exploring the world of talent intelligence with Toby Colshaw. Toby is someone who is one of the leading authorities in the talent intelligence space, having built successful talent intelligence teams, first at Philips and now at Amazon. With the global economy having been turned upside down, I invited Toby onto the podcast to share his views on how talent intelligence can help companies break through these difficult times and come out with a competitive talent advantage. Too many companies are using, seeing the slowdown as times to, particularly in TA, to, to cut that TA headcount because the rationale being, well, if we're not hiring people, we don't need a TA function. But really, this is the time to say, okay, well, if we're not all guns blazing hiring, this is the time to improve the function, to improve the systems, processes, tools, upskill people. If you don't have these sorts of capabilities in place, this is a great time to take stock and say, what's needed from our business right now and moving forward, and how do we build that in place now? But we don't stop there. My conversation with Toby will also cover the various types of data sets that can be used to hone your talent intelligence, how to set up a talent intelligence function, where the TI function should sit within the organisation, and the skills you should look out for to build the perfect talent intelligence team. So if you're looking for some inspiration on how you can withstand the strong economic headwinds, then this is an episode you won't want to miss. Now, let's start the conversation. Toby, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I think we first met at um, a, a conference in Barcelona. Maybe we'd met before that. We, I certainly remember meeting at a conference in Barcelona and I had the pleasure of introducing you on the stage. Um, before we dive into the interview, c- could you please share with uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I, I lead talent intelligence for World Amazon stores at the moment. People that don't know that what that means, it's essentially everything you're going to buy from Amazon. So the e-commerce platform, Amazon.com, through to the retail stores, right through to how that gets to your door. So it could be anything from airlines through to robotics, through to logistics, operations, warehousing, everything apart from that massive workforce of the associate population. So I don't cover the associate population. Everything else within that spectrum falls within my remit. And I have a centralized team that looks across talent intelligence, and we can discuss what that means for us. But we look across talent intelligence for the whole of that customer base. Prior to this, I come from TI. I, I, I'm not, we like to refer to fungible talent at Amazon. I'm not a terribly fungible talent. I, I can't be lifted and shifted into different functions and suddenly work in comp and bends or anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been doing labor market intelligence, talent intelligence, exec research, sourcing intelligence, that sort of space for 15, 20 years and really specializing in what I'd consider pure talent intelligence for probably about the last seven or eight. Firstly, congratulations on the recent publication of your book, Talent Intelligence. It's a great book, and I think it's the first that I've seen on, on intelligence as well. Out of, out of curiosity, what inspired you to, to, to write the book? Yeah, so I, th- I think there were two, two main things. Like through, through the last 24 months or so, the, the whole talent intelligence world has really exploded. It's been a really hot topic. But obviously, we've had a, a very volatile labor market and, and lots of rapid growth and lots of competition for talent. More so than, than ever, teams have had to start looking at that external landscape to say, what's going on? Why can't we hire? What's the diff challenges we're facing? What are the options ahead of us? So talent intelligence overall has had a, a, a real growth period. 
And that, that's tied in also with the next generations of platforms kicking through in the maturity and the user of the customer base, et cetera. So there's been a whole kind of perfect storm going on around TI. Through that period, I was having lots of conversations with people around how to set up a TI function, what to expect when you're setting up a TI function, what that could look like. The last question every single time when when we had these conversations was, look, this is great. Is there anything out there I can read to, to further understand this space and, and dive into it deeper? And beyond... Malika Poles did a, a fantastic white paper when we were at Philips diving into talent intelligence. Some of the vendors had done some really interesting white papers around uh, what talent intelligence was from their perspective. But beyond that, there really wasn't anything I could find or point people to that gave a, a more holistic view of this is kind of the state of the nation of, of TI. I'm not saying this is going to be the state of the nation forever, but at this point in time, this is kind of what it looks like and this is what, what we're, we're thinking and there wasn't really any, anything I could point people towards. So I wanted to write something around that to give something to uh, people to, to, to look towards. And, and also, honestly, it, I thought it would be an interesting reference point to see how things evolve. Uh, so that, that kind of, once again, that, that stock, stock taking time to say, this is where we're at. We're at an interesting point in history now where I think we get to essentially craft and create an entire function, field, industry, whatever you want to frame it as, and you don't get that very often. There aren't many chances in life where you get to set the stool and say, this is what this, this function and field is. And for me, that's quite interesting. So, so trying to at least help con- contribute to that in some small way uh, was probably another, another driver there as well. There's a great definition in the book about what talent intelligence is. And for the benefit of our listeners, who you pretty much span across HR. They might have an idea. Some of them probably work in talent intelligence. I have a very good idea what it is. But there'll be lots that maybe have heard of talent intelligence, maybe not quite sure what it is. What, what's your definition of talent intelligence? Yeah, I've got to get a better one. The one in the book's too long, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so even as soon as I wrote it, I thought, oh, it's outdated already. But the, the, the one we kind of use in the book, and it's essentially an uh, amalgamation of a few different TI definitions, because we were seeing different definitions from the vendor space, from the practitioner space, from thought leadership. So we tried to kind of bring them together. But it's essentially the augmentation of that internal and external people data applying some kind of technology, science, insights, intel, whatever it may be. And then you're looking at the people's skills, jobs, functions, competitors, geographies. And, and the key thing for me personally is it's around de-risking and driving those strategic business decisions. So it, it's for me, it's all around the broad human capital labor, uh, labor market and data uh, to say, what are we trying to achieve and where are we trying to go with this? And we can dive into that That versus, say, sourcing intelligence and variances there, et cetera. But um, yeah, for me, it's all around using people data, whatever guys that is, merge external people data, merging it with the internal, and then looking to drive business decision. You, you mentioned, Toby, that talent intelligence is, a, is an emerging function, obviously one that's gain, gaining more traction and demand in the people space. Again, you know, reference the book, there's a great line graph in the, in the first chapter that shows that the, the the growth over the last 20 years, but also that that significant amount of growth over the last sort of um, 18 months, two years. You know, for how listeners who, who, who may not have a, a TI function in their organization yet, you know, you've talked about definition and I think you've given a clue there. Can you tell us a little bit why talent intelligence is so important and maybe why it's so important now and likely to be in the coming years? Yeah, for me, I think it really comes down to one word and that's context. I think quite often, we, when we're looking at internal data sets and we're, we're, we're looking at making decisions based on internal data sets, 
we understand half the story, but we're not understanding the context of how that, that lies and, and why things are happening in that way. Um, using external labor market data, whether that's looking at skills and how it's transitioning, whether you're looking at competitors and how they're changing, whether it's location and looking at how does that sit in that location and what's the feasibility, expansion or growth or development in that location? What, what's the changes in governmental regulations that mean immigration flow is going to change? Uh, understanding the context of the external helps frame the decisions you're making in a much clearer way and give you a, a much better idea of what's going on and why it's going on. Um, so I'd say context is the, key, is the key reason. The overlay of that is obviously the external is changing faster and more aggressively than we've ever seen in really in history. You know, we're seeing movements and, and transformation and change that should take decades, multiple decades happening, you know, within a year, within two years. We're seeing these rapid, rapid changes and transformations. Um, that, that means that that stability, and we often talk about the, the volatile, uncertain world, et cetera, that, that instability is meaning that context is more important than ever. ever. Companies can pivot, pivot really fast, changing locations really fast through M&A deals and suddenly you have lo lo lots of redundancies happening at the, the, the turn of a, a coin. So you've just got to, that con context is so aggressive and it's so volatile. Without that, I think I think teams are seeing half a story and they can only really get half a perspective of why things are changing within their organization, why they're having higher attrition rates, why they're having lower morale, why, why they're seeing it harder to attract people, et cetera. If you're not understanding that external context, it's really, really hard to make true decisions and truly data-led decisions, and particularly to your point around looking around corners and what's coming ahead. That's very hard to do when you're only looking at your internal data sets. Yeah, yeah and it's, I guess it's understanding that flow of talent, where it's flowing to, where it's flowing from. You know, and I, I guess in the context now, I mean, obviously one of the, you know, everything, everyone's talking about hybrid work. You know, if we think about that, what that means for organizations that are embracing that, it potentially opens up new locations, new talent pools, I guess, where they can potentially. Um, and if these are locations where they've not hired before, they're, they're literally going blind, aren't they, without the without the data to, to kind of help them to do that. Exactly that. And there's, there are often whole business strategies that are based on being able to achieve certain elements of, of of growth, or if you're landing to expand, if you're buying a new company and wanting to expand it, buying a company wanting to integrate it in, but without understanding the context and the what the feasibility of that is, really those those growth plans are all kind of hopes and dreams. Unless you know if you want to go from 700 people to 7,000, is that even going to be possible? Are there another 6,000 people even in the industry that do that job? Quite often, the, the, the strategies, the strategy teams, the M&A teams, they're not necessarily looking into that feasibility piece because it, it's not really their problem. You know, once they've, once they've done the deal and it's down down the pipeline, it's up to TA to try and sort that mess out. So it's it's quite often it's around look, if we can impact the decisions upstream and you settle that that world downstream impact for TA, and that's why I often see these teams being formed in TA, which we can go into in a minute. Um, but that 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 that's why the by, where the byproduct lies is if we make these decisions better we should actually have a, a, an easier life downstream later. Let's pause for a short moment while I tell you a little bit about the sponsors of this series of the podcast. TechWolf helps large organisations understand the skills of their workforce through AI-based skill inference, inferring skills from employee data. TechWolf provides an instant, continuous and real-life objective skills overview of the skills you have, the skills you need, and the gap in between. 
Are you looking for insights into how companies like Booking.com, Allianz, BP, GE Healthcare, HSBC and Ericsson are adopting a skills-based approach across their entire organisation? Follow customer journeys and learn how these companies are transforming into skills-based organisations and preparing for the future at techwolf.ai. That's techwolf.ai. Obviously, we're both in the UK. Lots of talk about recessions and 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 challenging economic periods, and it's not just the UK, of course. But, you know, it's the, 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 we're talking, you know, potentially about global recession and everything else. How can businesses take advantage of talent intelligence during economically un- uncertain times? Yeah, there's, there's lots we can do. The most obvious, to be honest, is the cost cutting piece. You know, a lot of companies are looking to uh, look at their, their employee base and saying, how can we right size this? right sure are we in the right locations are we looking at the things from the right cost base whether it's low cost countries whether it's hybrid there's lots of options around that but from a pure location cost element there's a lot that can be done looking at the org design looking at hub and spoke versus centralization versus decentralized there's lots of work that can be done around that location slash workforce benchmarking from a pure cost perspective and then, then I'd say you've got the kind of broader talent marketplace piece. A lot of, them, of, of you know this space better than I, but um, at the moment, a lot of companies are obviously looking, starting to put the brakes a little bit on hiring and they don't want to bring in new talent quite so much. So it's understanding the internal talent. But quite often, understanding the skill sets you have within organizations is quite hard. Ironically, it's quite often easier to look using external platforms back into your own organization to understand what skills you have potentially within that organization because those skills aren't being captured within your HCM, they're not being captured captured within your learning management system, et cetera. So look, using TI to look external, use the external data to look back into your own organization to look at that whole kind of talent marketplace and skills is, is really important. I think the the future talent is really an p- important piece. So we've got a team of economists, for example, that, that look to the future to say, what's rolling down the road we should be aware of? What are these changes that are coming three, five years out? How's that going to impact? The changes to the economy at the moment. How is that going to change candidate behaviours? How the the obvious knee-jerk reaction in, in a situation like we're seeing at the moment is that 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 power is shifting from a candidate market to a com- a, a company-driven market because we have the jobs. You know, the, the candidates are going to be looking. That's not necessarily the case. You know, if the, the the skills you're looking for are still in high demand, if candidates are then becoming less risk-averse, so that they want to move less, suddenly it's going to be even harder to hire. So you're going to have to put even more effort into it. So it's quite counter to what some leadership are going to be thinking. And then to, to your point around pivoting, I think always on intelligence is one of the, the most interesting elements of what TI can do. So if you're permanently scraping competitor job postings, looking into them, what are they what are they doing from a skill set perspective? Are they pivoting as an organization? Are they opening up new locations? Are they moving from uh, a fixed location to a hybrid model? Because you can see all that information from the job postings. Obviously, within job postings in a lot of states now, you can start looking at the salary benchmarking and looking at the, the salary ranges. How is that changing? I wouldn't necessarily use that as a sole reason because, you know, being put on them is somewhat risky at the moment. But there's lots of things around having that constant eye on competitors to say, what are they doing? How are they changing? And you can see that as a trigger of when are they starting to come out of this? When are they starting to ramp up hiring again? And if they are, what's our risk exposure? If we know certain competitors hire aggressively against 
whatever function in a given location, are we risk exposed? Are we then going to see an attrition spike off the back of that? All of that's the sort of thing you can, you can really dig into. But uh, yeah, I, I think that honestly, within this, this kind of period as well, the, the other arguably most important thing is this is the time if, if recruitment volumes are a little lower, if your things are stabilizing internally a little more because the activity levels aren't quite as high, use this as the time to build those foundations out. But use this as the time if you don't have a TI function, get that in place. Uh, I think too many companies are using seeing the slowdown as times to, particularly in TA, to, to cut that TA headcount because the rationale being, well, if we're not hiring people, we don't need a TA function. But really, this is the time to say, okay, well, if we're not all guns blazing hiring, this is the time to improve the function, to improve the systems, processes, tools, upskill people. But this is the time for that. Um, so I'd say, yeah, if we, if we don't if we don't have these sorts of capabilities in place, this is a great time to take stock and say, what's needed from our business both now and moving forward, and how do we build that in place now? And I think you make well, you make several really important points, but a, a couple around how talent intelligence supports the creation and sustaining the, the talent marketplace. And if we think about workforce planning, if we think about retention. We think about understanding the value of your employee skills on the marketplace as well and, and, and who's hiring them because that, as you said, can support our, our comp and bend strategies. I mean, the other thing I think that's, that's, that's really interesting there is it's important to understand what competitors are doing. You know, companies are always looking what products and services their competitors are, are, are putting out there. But actually, if you look at who they're hiring, then you can probably get ahead of that because you can understand what they're potentially going to be developing before they actually come to market with it so which is which is quite interesting absolutely so so we used the the phrase at Philips as the um it was essentially a talent radar it was an early warning threat detection of what was happening and and you can see this in a number of ways whether it's execs and vps being hired into spaces that have never been hired into before you know we had had situations where market intelligence teams that cared about a certain customer base didn't care about the individuals because that they were moving from pan industry if we'd have spotted that we saw in, in, individuals moving into this competitor that essentially triggered and highlighted they were opening a whole new product range into a core product for us no one picked it up if you roll forward 18 months the, the intellectual property and the, the um, ip team were, were saying saying yes that there are patents being filed around certain products there's no, no conflict of interest, so they're not flagging it to anyone. It was only 18 months after that that, that we were starting to get competitors hiring specific uh, roles and specific teams out of our production facilities that we, we then as a TI team reversed back and said, well, when was the earliest trigger we could have caught this? And yeah, three years earlier, if we'd have seen that VP moving, we, we'd have seen that you know they're definitely moving into a new product range that they've never done before. And I think that that, that whole early warning threat detection it is really important you know you can really see our companies pivoting are they launching into new locations the business as usual we don't care about you know if, if certain competitors are hiring twenty thousand software engineers a year you don't care because they always are if they're opening new sites if they're they're pivoting skill sets are they shifting from a an on-prem sales model to a, a cloud sales model well that's going to fundamentally change the sales people they have are they say, moving from product sales to solution sales okay well that's going to fundamentally change but it's those changes you're looking for. And, and I think that's that's super powerful. When you can start seeing changes in the, the labor before they're, they're, they're telling the market that they're changing as a, as a company, I think that could be really powerful. Yeah, and you, you can straight away see the business value of it. You know, it's not just data for data's sake. 
there is so much data in the labour market, which leads nicely to this question, that we can use to gain that competitive advantage. We talked about some of some of them there. Yet, but many of us, many companies out there aren't utilising or, or gathering this data. Maybe a TI team that's just getting established or, or companies just establishing a TI function. You know, what data could or should they be gathering to really put forward a, a business case for for improving talent initiatives, for example? I think that's a great question. I think it, I'd always say come back to context but it, it depends what you, your business really care about some companies are going to be very m a uh, hungry so looking in Turkey, what do we need to know about those companies we're buying why are we buying those companies are we buying them for market penetration are we buying them just for the ip are we buying them to integrate uh, how, what are we buying them for that that could be a great thing to tie into to say okay well if we're looking to land and expand this is not feasible if we're looking to, to do this over the next three to five years, this is what we need to change internally, etc. Et, et like looking at the footprint of the existing company, looking at the skills they have, the job leveling, the framing of the architecture, etc. All of that, that's relatively, although it sounds difficult, it's relatively low-hanging fruit in terms of the sort of work you're going to be doing. You know, you can get a lot of that information from their LinkedIn profiles or Zing or Viadio or going on their, the company website, corporate structures, etc. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit there to understand understand competitors and how they work from what's publicly available. I think more broadly, you really need to work out what, what your leaders care about. What, what are their really big ticket items and work backwards from that? Because if it's a pure TA issue, you, know, you just need to get that funnel conversion higher. If you need to get more people in that funnel, if you need to target the recruitment marketing intelligence in, more, in a smarter way, that, then suddenly that's a very different problem. And it's all around how do we activate people in a more effective way? Uh, how do we target our competitors in a, in a more direct way? You could go upstream and say, okay, well, in actual fact, to, do, to address this and to do this, we need to change our, our location strategy. We need to change our office and office culture to a hybrid model. You, know, you can always pivot back and kind of go upstream to work out what do we need to do to, to affect things downstream. But um, I, I'd say really it's, it's purely around understanding what you're trying to achieve because to your point that there's so much data out there. It, it could be grabbing macro data. It could be going to one of the many vendors. You know, one of the reasons we saw the hockey stick of, of TI is the vendor landscape radically changed. We saw a real upskilling of the, um, the, the vendor side of simplifying product for us. So it went from really data heavy products that you ha had to be very, very data literate to use to products with a very good user interface that suddenly you didn't have to be hardcore data scientist or, or an economist to dig, dig into this. They were doing the heavy lifting for you which meant that the actual product range enabled a lot of the transformation internally. Um, so you, it's not it's not scary as people think. Quite often they're seeing this stuff and thinking, you know, there's some terribly deep, dark, terrifying data sets out there. You know, there, there are if you want to dig into that. But the reality is by using the, the, the sources most people already have, LinkedIn Recruiter, the, the social platforms, looking at GitHub, looking at reports people are publishing, looking at Bureau of Labor Statistics or Office of National Statistics. There's a lot of information there that's at people's fingertips. And, and I'd say that the, that low-hanging fruit is a lot easier than people think. TA functions generally will have a lot of this information. They're just not very good at bubbling up. They're not very good at telling the leaders, look, this is what we're seeing on the ground. It kind of the information flow gets stuck. And, and so it never really bubbles up properly. You mentioned some of the, the, the vendors out there, it's, it's about the vendors, but you know, what role does technology play in, in collating all this data and, and helping to scale talent intelligence in, in general? I'm always a consultant first type model. So I, 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 and we can talk about this for the evolution of 
HR analytics, people analytics versus TI and how they're, they're slightly different in my mind. So I'd, I'd say that technology as an output is not necessarily always the right way I'd go. Self-service dashboarding, tooling, et cetera, isn't always the way I'd, I'd recommend going. But technology in of itself, absolutely vital. You know, can, can you go and, I, I don't know, manually scrape every uh, job posting for a competitor, put it into an Excel and manually go through and, and track that and analyze it, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely, yeah. But you're going to be there for years. Literally, <laughs> you probably couldn't you couldn't scrape it as fast as a posting. You'll, you'll be there forever. Technology to scrape that stuff, to analyze that stuff, absolutely vital. Technology for visualization of these this data sets, absolutely vital. There's the actual platform side and the vendor side, as I mentioned, that they've come on immeasurably in, in the last five years. Huge amount of a VC investment in the last couple of years, so we're seeing lots more players coming into that space. The maturity of that that is is moving ahead rapidly. It's still challenging. Is the honest answer because it there is so so much variance in the external marketplace. Are, are different platforms using the same taxonomies and definitions? How does that compare to the governmental data? How does that compare with your internal job classification and job taxonomies? So it's still it's still messy data. We're still at a stage where there isn't a universal data sets. There aren't universal agreements on taxonomies. So it's still quite messy, but it's it's absolutely vital. Without without technology. A huge chunk of what we do within TI just isn't possible. And I think that's also one of the dangers some TI teams can fall into is if their output is pure data and they're not being consultative, they're not doing the advisory piece, they're not doing the analysis, they're not, they're not having an opinion, then eventually that will just be automated as well. You know, As all these platforms mature and the, the product and the offering matures, if you're not having that consultation piece in the advisory, you, your whole work streams just going to be absorbed and and automated into that as well. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Welcome back from the short break. Just a quick note for those interested in purchasing Toby's book on talent intelligence. The link is available in the show notes for this podcast. For now, let's get back to the conversation. You know, often there's a misconception out there that talent intelligence and people analytics are the same thing. I mean, I suppose the names themselves could arguably be quite similar. You know, and of course there are similarities, but they're also very different. And you present this wonderfully in the book. But, but for those who haven't yet read the book, could you share your thoughts on, on the differences between the two? There's some operational differences, I see, and there's some almost philosophical differences. I'd say uh, operationally, generally, people analytics, and I, I bow to you on this one because you know this space way better than me, but people analytics generally, I'd say, is looking at the internal efficiencies, the internal metrics, the internal KPIs, I'm looking at your attrition rates, talent flows, et cetera, internally and saying, well, what, how are we performing? How is this going? And, and it's that 
internal reflection. And there's some, uh, obviously you've got the, the HR analytics, people analytics, maturity curve, where you go from kind of reporting to analysis through to kind of the, the more intelligence and, and the advisory, et cetera. But generally speaking, it's, it's looking at internal data and trying to understand our internal landscape and, and how that sits. Generally speaking, TI is the external piece and it's looking at the external lens, the external landscape, where where the gray area comes is when they merge because neither of them have complete power unless you bring this stuff together. And I think you see some sub-functions where this merges faster and much more acutely. So things like talent acquisition analytics. Quite often it's a sub-function. Quite often it's not sat within people analytics, HR analytics, where I think it should sit personally. But that, that's a very obvious, obvious starting point where you can say, well, actually, we can see this internally from the, the, the CRM systems and the ATS systems. This is the external all right, we need to get, get that together. And, and I, I think that that we're going to see more and more of those gray areas. And we can talk about the evolution in a second. But I think, I think generally, I'd say HR analytics, people analytics, the primary is internal and the secondary may be some external context. TI is just the opposite. Primary is the external. You're going to use some internal for context. I'd say the, the more philosophical piece as well, though, is generally with, with HR people analytics, I'd say, if you're looking into a problem statement, it's a hypothesis first methodology. So you've got a hypothesis and then you're looking to the data to prove or disprove that hypothesis. And it's it's a much more academic approach. Whereas generally in TI, it's more of a business problem that you're trying to solve. So you're 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 it's a it's a broader inquisitive study, but you end up going down more rabbit holes and you're never quite as tight on the parameters. So it, it's a slightly different methodology. Both have their pros and cons, but I, I'd say generally most TI teams are coming from that slightly less academic and hypoth- hypothesis-based approach, but it's more of an inquisitive study, whereas generally I'd say TA, uh, uh, people analytics, HR analytics, uh, um, have that slightly tighter rigor on that academic approach. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, actually. And I think in the book you talk about, you know, obviously the very fact what you've just said there, the skills to do you know, the various roles in people analytics in some respects differ from the the skills to do talent intelligence and that's not always understood so i guess when you bring it together and i think you talk about where it is brought together here you know a lot of that you know you need the leader the leader of that function whatever it's called people intelligence maybe um to to actually understand that that those differences so both can thrive because i think i mean one really obvious point i think when you talk about the talent acquisition analytics if you're only looking at the internal data or you're only looking at the external data. You're only getting half the story, and as you said, you need to bring them together, don't you, to to give the whole story, depending on 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 what it is you're trying to solve for. A hundred percent, and I think it's it's some of the nuances are around the maturity of, of the markets as well. So, um, HR analytics is a much more mature market. It's a much more stable market in terms of the the data sets, etc. So you'll quite often find that people that are, are very strong practitioners and, and can produce some really good, powerful HR analytics and delivery, when they go into the TI world, there's a bit of a learning curve or relearning curve because the, the data isn't as structured. It's messy. It's, it's, so from a, a pure data science perspective, they can't just jump in and do some really amazing data science work because there's this whole kind of ETL type piece at the beginning where it's just actually we need to work out what we're even looking at. Because you, you, the, all that kind of maturity from the last 20 years or so that you've had within HR analytics, putting the systems in place, having the structured data fields, having all that structured approach in the data architecture and the engineering, we just haven't had yet in TI. So it, it is very, very much uh, a bit more like the Wild West, where there, there's all this opportunity 
and and people can go out and just stake their claims and, and build things but there there aren't really as many controls in place and, and that's one of the aspects of the the book i really i wanted to highlight but i think it probably needs to be highlighted more is the whole kind of data ethics and the, the data security aspect where i think HR analytics people analytics are probably tighter on that you know that they've got really close controls on um, personalized identifiable information or DNI and uh, data etc they've got the, those control mechanisms in place to really have that structure I think that's still finding its feet in most TI teams where because the data is publicly available because the data can be accessed there's almost this assumption that well it's out there we can use it we can grab it we can process it and and I think there's a whole kind of data ethics piece around of just just because you can doesn't mean you should and and I think that's kind of the evolutionary phase where we really need to focus is we can build this stuff we can do this stuff doesn't really mean we should be doing this stuff and either as practitioners or even within the vendors and the supply chain it, there's, there's some real elements where i think i'm not convinced that's the appropriate way for us to move as, a, as an industry but what's interesting actually in, in the book and i kind of kind of knew this but i didn't know the extent of this actually you know around 50 percent of ti functions actually currently report to the talent acquisition function which is typically, you know, a separate function for well, is a separate function from people analytics. For the further evolution of talent intelligence, where do you think TI should sit within an organization and and why? Because I guess you've worked in talent intelligence functions that are separate, their own functions in their own right. That's a great question. So when I when I was at Philips, the talent intelligence, we sat within talent acquisition. Within Amazon, my TI team sits under talent ma- management programs. The other t- talent intelligence teams sit within talent acquisition. There's there's multiple TI teams over here. It, interesting with the Talent Intel Collective, which we, we touched on very briefly earlier, we did a benchmarking survey last year. And uh, out of the benchmarking uh, respondents, uh, 80% sat still within talent acquisition. But of that 80%, uh, 85% didn't want to sit within talent acquisition and they didn't think it was the right home, uh, which was fascinating. I, th- I think for, for me, there's, it, it kind of depends on how the evolution of the 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 overall HR analytics, people analytics, TI, strategic workforce planning, talent acquisition analytics, that whole piece. I, I think there's there's a lot of a lot happening in pockets and silos that probably could come together into one more holistic. In the in the the book I talk about the the WAFs function, so the workforce analytics, intelligence, forecasting and strategy, which is a terrible name. Definitely have to rephrase that and re- rename that for next time. I think Josh Burson kind of touches on it recently, and he he used the name uh, TI, but I, th- I think actually what it is is workforce intelligence o- overall. It, it's that broader. Actually, if we're looking at any data sets within our talent landscape and the workforce landscape, that's probably all one beast. So I think we could all come together onto one one more holistic HR science type workforce intelligence function. Equally, I think there's probably an argument to be had around whether centralized intelligence is the way forward. We're not intelligent, we're not talent intelligence practitioners, we're not people analytics practitioners, we're analytics practitioners and intelligence individuals. There's actually a lot of similarities if you can look at our worlds versus say marketing intelligence or market intelligence or business intelligence or threat intelligence. You know, the, the mechanisms we use and the skill sets we have, there's very, very similar career paths, there's very, very similar leveling, there's very, very similar actual techniques and, and processes so there's also i think an argument to be had around having a centralized intelligence function and you just have the sub specializations within of your subject matter expert in talent you're a subject matter expert in human capital you're a subject matter expert in marketing or, or market so I, I think there's a, there's a whole piece around 
central intelligence and, and that whole kind of knowledge transfer and how do these data sets combine? You know, if we know a competitor is bidding against us for a certain piece of work and from a, an exec research perspective, we can see they've just lost their head of programs that, that leads up that delivery of that function. Well, we now, from a sales perspective, know there's an angle to sell against because they don't, they're not going to have the person to lead and deliver that. If we can see attrition's high in certain delivery centers, for example, the sales team can know that to, to go in and counter sell and say, well, actually, we know that that competitor can't deliver there because they've just had a huge attrition issue or whatever it may be. Like, I, th- I think there's there's so much power in combining these data sets. And, and at the moment, we're still very, very siloed both within HR, but even more so when we expand and look at the broader business. What I think would be really interesting now is given that talent intelligence is still, you know, relatively new in many organisations, obviously you mentioned that the majority still sit within talent acquisition. But let's say that there's a company out there listening to you, okay, okay, I'm listening to Toby, I'm now going to create a workforce intelligence team. So whether it's workforce intelligence or talent intelligence, you know, for those that are looking to do this, how can they go about that? You know, for, you know, we've talked about focusing on the business challenges and stuff and before you start thinking about the data, but from a skills perspective, you know, what skills should they look out for and how should they, how should they structure the team? Assuming you've got kind of the problem statements from the business, et cetera, as we say, reverse that back in to understand what the customer needs are. I'd, I'd say there's two things that I, I always look for from a, a soft skill perspective, and that, that's passion and proactivity. Both very hard to actually assess for. So uh, from a talent assessment perspective, nightmare, I guess. But I'd, I'd say with TI, particularly the, the both, both passion and proactivity are really, really high on the agenda because it's a new field. So, so having passion for the field, understanding what, what it is, being hungry to learn about it, being hungry to learn what others are doing, that's really important because the, there isn't a path out there that, that's well-trodden that everyone can follow. So you're going to have to have that that level of passion to really want to, to dig into yourself. And, and the proactivity piece around, no one knows they necessarily need this data yet. You know, quite often you'll be going to VPs and they don't, they don't know that this even exists because it hasn't existed before. So you need to be really, really passionate, uh, or sorry, proactive uh, about pushing it out, about being, not being scared to knock on doors, go into meetings, be exploratory. There's almost kind of like a business development sales aspect to it where you've, you've got to be really keen to get out there and talk to the business and understand them one-to-one. I think from a technical skills perspective, I'd say there's, there's two angles. You can either go data first route and, and hire some BIEs and DEs and uh, data scientists, et cetera, and go, go kind of a similar path to people analytics and, and build out that kind of scaled solutioning. Or you, you generally see teams that will say, well, actually, rather than hiring people in, I'm just going to kind of pivot what we've got. So I'm going to use someone from SWP, or I'm going to use somebody from real estate, or I'm going to use somebody from recruitment, and, and we'll, we'll kind of flex and use their skills. You know, there's a lot of uh, very low low lift products out there. So whether it's any of the big vendors, so like your, your EMSI, your so MZ, you've got your uh, Horsefly, you've got Stratagens, you've got LinkedIn Talent Insights that huge swathes of recruiters will be using you know there's lots of vendors out there that are, are very easy to digest and it's very easy for the if you're starting in a ta function as i say most do it's very easy for them to, to get that data understand that data and and it's it feels familiar you know it's, it's sourcing intelligence it's that data they use every day it's largely about repositioning that and just saying you know if we're struggling at sourcing it for sourcing for this software engineer in cambridge for example it's probably likely that others in our team are too. So let's just talk to them. And then how do we scale that to the leadership team in Cambridge to say, what do we change? Are we changing the location? Are we changing the strategy? Are we changing whatever? And then it's just about scaling up in the, in the business. And I, I think 
I think too many people are, uh, are nervous about taking that data and scaling it through the business. But from a skill set perspective, I, I, honestly, I'd say it, it's low lift. I don't think you need highly, highly, highly technical individuals initially. Uh, there's, there's a lot of platforms out there that do the heavy lifting for you. It leads quite nicely to the final question, actually, Toby. So this is, in this series, we, you know, every series of the podcast we do, we ask the same question, there's five episodes, we ask the same question to, to each of the five guests. So how can HR help the business identify and prioritise the critical skills it needs for the future? Kind of in your wheelhouse, this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It's, it's a funny one. Um, I was thinking about this uh, 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 recently, and I, I think there's there's two elements, really. There's the... What is the market doing? Um, because I think that external context is vital. You know, you, we can say we need skill X, but if the entire market is shifting to skill Y, we probably need to change our, our strategy on it. So I, th- I think the whole market market analysis piece, assessing where we're going. Obviously, the overlay of that is how your own internal population is changing and how they're developing their skill sets away from necessarily what you're trying to drive. So are they trying to shift their skill sets away from what you want to do? And once again, you can use things like LinkedIn, reverse it, back into your own company and see what skills people are, are developing that you might not necessarily have thought they're developing. I think the, the obviously overlay there as well is what the industries are changing as well. So, you know, hot topic at the moment, metaverse, where's that going to go? Understanding the skills needed there and the potential expansion path, and that's when you get into like the volume of hiring analysis, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think there's a few things from the kind of the macro level, but I think one of the most important things for me is whether businesses actually understand what our critical skills are. I think quite often we, we say critical skills and it, it's really senior individuals or, uh, you know, we, it's what the, the skill sets we think are a hot topic or hot priority, but they're not, for me, hot and important and critical are different. And I, I think there's actually probably only a handful of really critical skills within most organizations. You know, most organizations, if you lose a huge chunk, it'll be painful, but it's not gonna be actually business critical. So I think really working with the business to say, what's our truly, truly business critical roles? Why are they business critical? Is it an individual? Is it a skill set? Is it something that can be de-risked by moving across different functions, different locations, et cetera? Because those single points of failure, those real true criticality pieces, that they can be sometimes some very long tenured individuals that you sit there and go, well, if they're retiring in the next five years, you're in trouble. Like that de-risking element could be really important. So I'd say, yeah, there's probably a, a slight difference in my take in terms of the criticality versus the the volume and the scale, I guess. Great answer, Toby. And a good and a, and a, and a nice way to, to to finish our discussion. Can you let us let, know how they can stay in touch with you? As you're pretty active on social media, how they can follow you on social media, how they can get involved in the Talent Intelligence Collective and find out more about your work and, and obviously the book. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I'm, I'm quite visible. So Toby Coleshaw, you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn or wherever you want. Um, reach out whenever you want. I'm, I'm very open on these things. Uh, the Talent Intelligence Collective, primarily a Facebook group. We have got a LinkedIn group, but it's not terribly active. So primarily Facebook or uh, through there, you can pop into the WhatsApp channels, very busy as well. We do monthly meetups. We obviously do a podcast and newsletter as well. Um, but yeah, pretty much anywhere you Google me, you'll be able to find me somewhere. And the book is available now, isn't it? It's on in Co- on Kogan Page. Yep, Kogan Page for the, for the book. Or um, we'd be remiss not to say you can get it on Amazon if you wish as well. <laughs> it would be remiss of you to say that. So I'm glad you added that one in there, Toby. Toby, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you as ever. Um, thank you very much for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Thank you so much for having me, David. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. 
And thank you again, Toby Colshaw, for your fantastic views and knowledge about talent intelligence. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you love this show, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media so that others can enjoy the show too. For more from us at Insight222, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com where you can get weekly updates on the latest trends in the HR and people analytics space. I hope to see you all next week. Well, I'll be talking to Alexis Fink at Meta about the work she has done to build out her people analytics team. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.